Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm Dave Homewood, your host, and this is the show about New Zealand aviation. Joining us today is Rex Bunn, who is here to talk about his latest book, which is called King's Crew. Welcome, Rex. Thanks, Dave. A privilege to finally meet the architect of Wings Over New Zealand. <laughs> Thank you. It's good to meet you as well. Um, now, Rex, your book, King's Crew, can you give us a little bit of a general idea of what it's about? Sure. It's a formal unit history of a typical air training corps squadron from the inception of the air training corps in New Zealand as well as Australia and England in 1941-42 up till the present day. Uh, it runs until 2011 which was the 70th or platinum anniversary of the air training corps in New Zealand. Right, okay. And um, tell us a little bit about your own background with, uh, with the actual squadron and, and the air training corps. <laughs> I was just a lowly cadet, never promoted, uh, and uh, with my mates uh, at high school at that time, we all joined the Air Training Corps. Some had uh, uh, parents who were World War II air crew, which led us in, and the rest uh, gleefully followed. Uh, and it's only now, looking back after 50 years, that I can see the tremendous uh, impact that those few years in the Air Training Corps had on each of us. Right, okay. Uh, so what year did you join the squadron? We all joined around 1961, in the early 60s, 61, 62, uh, uh, in Gisborne, and that would have been fairly typical around uh, the country. Right, right, okay. So um, what was the, the uh, uniqueness about number 14 squadron? Was there anything special about it? <laughs> well, it's one of the smallest ones, <laughs> and one of the most isolated ones, and... It's, it's a struggle street, or was a struggle street kind of squadron, because it was uh, in a small isolated community, um, so its catchment area was quite low, and it always struggled for numbers, and indeed it still does. Um, while it, it maxed out at 60, 65 cadets in World War II, um, in the 60s it was struggling to hit 40. Yeah. Uh, reached that again in the 80s and is now back down in the 20s where it was uh, uh, through much of its history. Uh, compared to, say, Auckland and Wellington squadrons, that's, that's not a big uh, 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 squadron, but it certainly was a, a proud one and had unusually close links with RNZAF, particularly during World War II because of the formation of 30 squadron from the Gisman catchment area, and that's why there was an unusually close relationship between the Air Training Corps and the RNZAF in Gisborne. Right, right. And Gisborne, of course, um, produced a lot of interesting uh, pilots and, and aircrew um, during the war as well, didn't they? Um, it did, both in the European theatre and in the Pacific. And so those two skeins, if you like, that came back into the RNZAF after World War Two two competing factions almost, as Johnny Checkett says, uh, there was some friction between uh, uh, those of our uh, officers who came back from Bomber Command uh, and those who were serving the Pacific. Right. But that enriched the squadron and certainly gave us a much broader mentoring development and view of aviation. Right, right. Uh, so as a, a kid growing up in the uh, 60s with these guys around, um, were there any sort of real mentors and heroes in that for you guys? Absolutely, and this is something I remarked on at our first uh, reunion. 
that took place only in 2010, 50 years after we were in the ATC. And yep. as you know, Dave, after 50 years, most squadrons are ceasing reunions, not beginning them. Exactly. Yeah. So we're quite late <laughs> to the game, but uh, we've had two in the last two years, including a full squadron reunion from 41 to 2011 with members of squadrons throughout that period. So, uh, yeah, looking back, um, there were two outstanding personalities in our day. Um, and I realised personally that they were both um, tremendously influential in my development and my colleagues as well, yeah. because we were rather callow and naive young teenagers in a very isolated place in New Zealand, which itself, of course, is an isolated place at the end of the world to begin with. So we were, we were absolutely overjoyed to find ourselves exposed to men who travelled the world, who are professional men, uh, who knew how to act, how a man behaves, and we just lapped it up. But I guess the first of the mentors I had was squadron leader Nick Williamson, who was a distinguished uh, Sterling and Lancaster pilot in 75 Squadron. In World War II, he did two tours of duty yep. and served as commanding officer of 14 Squadron ATC throughout the 1950s. And then our own commanding officer, Andy King, from 41 Squadron, from Transport Command, uh, who was the longest serving uh, CO at 17 years and in uh, 14 Squadron, and that would place him in one of the longest serving uh, COs nationally, in fact. Right, right. Now, with um, 14 Squadron ATC, was there also a, a close link with 14 Squadron RNZAF? <laughs> yes. yes, there was. And this is something I know you posed a question on Wands a couple of years ago. Um, and in, in our case, uh, there was, uh, not just numerically, um, but also uh, de facto. Uh, my brother, in fact, served in uh, both squadrons, yep. and he wasn't the only one. There are a number of Gisborne guys who uh, uh, went on into uh, the ONZAF, both in ground crew and, and air crew, uh, and that gave a very close relationship. Uh, for example, I think I was probably one of the few ATC cadets to, to access the uh, bar and the officers' mess at Ohakia in the 60s, uh, waxing on that relationship, um, <laughs> and got away with it. Um, so, yeah, they took us under their wing um, and looked after us handsomely, and that just accentuated the tremendous mentoring benefits that the Air Training Corps has always provided to young men and now young women around New Zealand. Right, right. What sort of uh, visits did Gisborne used to get in, in your time in the ATC from the RNZF? Our air instructor, uh, Flight Sergeant Ron Stoll, who uh, is still uh, uh, alive and kicking in his 80s, at uh, living uh, around, uh, around the east coast of Waihau Bay. Uh, Ron was our air instructor, based at uh, Ahakia, and uh, drove his uh, blue Bedford uh, van up to Gisborne every fortnight covering Napier and Hastings squadrons as well along the way. And uh, anyone who served with or under or over Ron uh, knew that uh, his, uh, his style of drill was unique and characteristic of, of Ron's approach. And so while we never won the efficiency award, we got close to it and uh, Ron uh, was a, I must say, a tremendously powerful and somewhat intimidating figure right. to me. He used to scare the shit out of me, frankly, <laughs> um, which amused him greatly last year at the reunion. Uh, but no, he was our regular contact. 
um, as area instructor. Um, that liaison role, of course, carries on, and the RNZAF and Steve Main at Based Ohakia is, is, the, is Ron Stoll's counterpart today. Yep. And then, of course, we had regular visits to Ohakia base as well for camps and so on. Right, right. And did any aircraft fly into Gisborne, though, that you remember? Absolutely. Um, you'll see in King's Crew uh, quite a procession of uh, RNZF aircraft that uh, came up through Gisborne, starting with the um, uh, uh, with some of the old Vincent um, aircraft before World War II, uh, then the Avengers during World War II that um, nearly got onto a Japanese submarine off the East Coast. Uh, and after World War II, the whole gamut of the RNZAF came through. Um, so in our time, it was typical to see Harvard's, uh, uh, Dakota's, um, even a Canberra landing uh, at Darton Field, uh, just. Um, and uh, virtually, virtually every civilian and military aircraft that uh, the, the RNZAF ran would have landed at Gisborne at some point, and which we would have guarded for better or worse. Hmm. Right, okay. <laughs> um, so we'll sort of talk a little bit about the book now itself. Um, how did you get the idea of compiling this, and then how did you go about the research? Dave, I have to be honest, it was an accident. Uh, I mean, I'm an author. I've written several books and hundreds of articles, uh, and this, this project came out of left field uh, with uh, an ATC colleague uh, now living in Brisbane, Brian Ancrum, who um, just before our first tentative reunion of A-Flight in 2010 suggested it would be a good idea to, to do some blow-up photographs uh, of our days and the squadron to dress the room uh, because after 50 years we had no idea whether we would ever get into sync again, you know. Um, right. Many of us had never met. Yep. Um, some of us travelled the world, never came home to New Zealand. Um, I stupidly volunteered to do a PowerPoint presentation because it would be free, A, and B, I'd done one to promote my last book and taught myself how to use PowerPoint. And that began a two-year project now, which has taken me far longer than it did to write my last book um, and has been tremendously satisfying. Uh, but it's taken up probably 1,500 man hours. Wow. <laughs> Pro bono work, of course, too. Yes, yeah. Okay, and um, the actual process of tracking down all this information and, and photographs and that, was it difficult? Absolutely. Um, at different levels. I'm, I'm a non-fiction author by trade in the transport area, but I'd never tackled anything in aviation. Although there are, of course tremendous similarities between my field and motorcycle engineering and in aviation. Uh, both, uh, both types of vehicles are recently called unsteady vehicles. In other words, when you turn the ignition off, they both drop to the ground, um, whereas, <laughs> which sets them apart from other vehicles. But no, it was quite difficult. And I think only from our position in the 60s were we uniquely able to look back into the 40s and the genesis of the Air Training Corps and then look forward through the 80s and 90s to the new century, it would be very difficult, probably impossible, for a historian starting today in the, in the 2010s to, to really look back 70 years. Um, we, because we had parents 
uh, in the Air Training Corps, for example, a squadron leader Williamson's son was one of my good mates um, and gave us access to files. And because 14 Squadron was in a small community, that made it much easier for us to go back and, and harvest oral histories than it would be, say, in Auckland or Wellington. Right. Uh, so we had a couple of inbuilt advantages, but nevertheless, it was a worldwide effort. Uh, we harvested photos, ephemera and oral histories from England, uh, from Australia and all around New Zealand and uh, did an awful lot of graveyard searching as well for, for a living and, and uh, deceased uh, officers and cadets. So it was quite a challenge and I'm quite proud of what A-Flight has come up with. Uh, we are, I think, still the only Air Training Corps squadron to have taken on this kind of task and to have done it um, in this fairly rich media, uh, multimedia show. Uh, one of the squadrons in the wire wrapper did a, a unit history for their 50th, but that was a 65-page book, um, a hard copy book. But to my knowledge, no other squadron has got up to a 300-page uh, uh, e-book uh, covering a formal unit history of their squadron. We may be unique in that forever. I don't know. It's up to the other bigger squadrons to catch us. Right, okay, well, and let's talk about the fact that it's an e-book and not a standard, you know, flip-the-pages book. Sure. My books have always, uh, up to my last one, been um, printed books and the regular bound books in the regular way, but my English publisher from Motorcycling suggested a couple of years ago he'd like to use my last book, Classic Motorcycling, A Guide for the 21st Century, where your authors are shameless self-promoters, Dave. <laughs> That's right. Uh, <laughs> Rollo, my publisher, asked me if he could put my book uh, out as an e-book, as a test market, and I said, go for it. Um, that test is still going on. Uh, but e-books, at least in my field of transport uh, in the motorcycle area, are very popular um, right. using um, Adobe PDF files. They're fairly straightforward to write um, and are suitable for mixing up uh, illustrations, graphics and text material and it's a very cost-effective way of self-publishing uh, at the price points of around 20 to 30 bucks or pounds it's good value as well yeah. um, so having been exposed to that I, you know, authors are bound as we were talking about earlier by the quality of the material that they uncover and uh, much of the material that I receive was of course photographic material, yep. uh, most of it analogue, um, uh, just printed photos, positives, negatives and so forth, and a, a huge tranche of ephemera, you know, badges, uh, menus, um, documentation, service records and so on, as New Zealand Defence Archives are extremely useful in the search and we owe them a great deal. Yeah. Um, but so I quickly decided that PDF files weren't really suitable for this material, that it would be best to portray uh, it using a multimedia format and PowerPoint is the obvious one. It's just unparalleled for self-publishing in my experience, allowing you to mix in text and graphics, animation, digital video, as well as multi-channel soundtracking. So I was able to put in a King's Crew musical soundtrack as well as uh, a narration, as well as sound effects. Uh, and that certainly makes uh, a somewhat enriched product compared to a standard e-book. Exactly, exactly, yeah. We've just been having a look at uh, some of the book here 
and it's um, it, it's quite amazing to see the the vibrancy of the color and the, and then you get the sound layers of sound that sort of thing and it, it does bring it bring it to life it does um, there's no question in my mind that uh, having um, a narration a sound um, and uh, text and graphics and some animation uh, wraps it all up into a very user-friendly package and the impact on the audiences who've seen uh, King's Crew so far has been quite astonishing. Um, some have um, burst into tears. Um, all, I think, have been um, taken up by the show. Uh, and the folk in Gisborne, of course, who saw the premiere last year, um, uh, led by the Commandant of the New Zealand Cadet Forces, Commander Glenn Stokes, uh, who kindly visited the premiere. Um, yeah, the audience was um, was really impressed to see a unit history presented in that way rather than just printed words on a page. Right, and I guess as far as unit histories go of any unit, um, military or, or cadet or anything, they're usually fairly um, staid, sort of uh, boring <laughs> texts. But, but this is the sort of thing that's going to appeal to the younger people as well, isn't it? Yes, because we wrote the book for two real audiences. One was the Commandant of the New Zealand Cadet Forces because our squadron had lost its past. Yep. We were horrified when we got back to the squadron in 2010 to find that we were unknown and very little was known by the present officers and cadets about the rich history that 14 Squadron has. Um, so we wrote it for the New Zealand Defence Forces that we would lodge a copy in archive so it would never be lost again. And secondly, for today's and tomorrow's cadets so we could in some way relate to them um, what the ATC means in the long run yep. and what they could expect to get out of it and what a huge impact it has had on the Gisborne region and our, our generation and the generations that followed us. And the, the cadets and the today's serving officers were stunned at the history of their small squadron and what had gone on before their tenure. It was a real eye-opener for them. Right, right, okay. And... Um with the, uh, the the book itself, um, how do people get hold of it? The, the e-book. Well, it has, we've not made it easy because of the genesis of King's Crew. It started out, to be honest, Dave, as uh, as an indulgence for our small group of A flight uh, for our, our small tentative reunion in 2010. Then it built as more ephemera and collect photo collections and histories came in into a much longer 30-minute uh, uh, um, uh, show which we determined to screen at uh, the first formal squadron reunion last year. And at some point we filled in so much of the history progressively from 1941 through the 60s, 70s and then extended and stretched the program into the 80s and 90s as we were connected with officers and cadets from that period. And finally, I could see that we could stretch to 2000, in which case we could really have a strike at a formal unit history, which we'd never, frankly, set out to do. Right. And having got to 2000, it was a fairly small stretch to 2012. Um, and thus, we were able to complete a full unit history for that whole period. So it's been a work in progress. It's now up to approaching 300 pages. And uh, it's, it's, I, I'm not sure it will ever be finished, actually. It's, uh, it just keeps growing as more material comes to light. But essentially now we've reached a stage where 
it's publication worthy, it's complete, finished, it's properly licensed with all the music and copyright issues sorted out, and I believe we do have a commercial product on our hands. Right, okay. Uh, I, I guess, yeah, you've got a product that can, can now be sold. Um, yep. So, But as you say, it may never be finished because the squadron itself will keep adding to the history as, as they go along. Um, have you found that the modern day, the, the current ATC cadets have embraced it in that way that they, they want to take up the mantle with it? Absolutely. The, um, as soon as today's uh, unit commander, a pilot of Crystal Tamanui, saw it, she, her first reaction was, this has got to be a centrepiece of all our induction. Uh, every cadet in, inducted into 14 Squadron in the future will sit down and, and walk through King's crew to get an idea of what the squadron has been about, what it is about, and what it can do for cadets. And that's indeed one of the, the key target audiences that we wrote for. But as a commercial proposition, we realised really, I know after talking with your good self um, and uh, other aviation folk around New Zealand, that yeah, there is a wider market for a unit history of an ATC squadron because King's crew is a singular history to date, because it's the platinum anniversary of the Air Training Corps movement around Australia, Canada, England and New Zealand, and much celebrated, may I say, more so outside New Zealand than in. I was unimpressed personally at the level of uh, celebration that I saw around New Zealand compared to, say, Australia, where the wings in all states embraced this and had rather complex and extensive celebration plans uh, ready months and months beforehand, whereas it all seemed to be rather small and last minute in New Zealand. But no, the King's Group program I've made available thanks to your kind officers uh, on Wings Over New Zealand, uh, and it's available for uh, direct sale from myself on behalf of 14 Squadron. Um, I may um, widen out the uh, promotional media uh, to perhaps eBay at some point and trade me, but at the moment we're taking it step by step. Yep. Our, pr- our first priorities are to get copies into New Zealand Defence Force archives, into the Squadron Records in Wellington, and uh, the latest version into 14 Squadron itself in Gisborne. Uh, and then uh, and then making it more available around New Zealand and overseas. Right, okay. And, and if people want to contact you, um, how, how do they go about that? Jump on Wings Over New Zealand and go to the Air Training Corps board, which uh, is a unique resource and immensely valuable in our research, uh, and you'll find my details on there. My email address is best because I'm fairly mobile. As an author, I wander around a lot. Uh, here and overseas, so you can always get me though at rexbun, R-E-X-B-U-N-N, all lowercase, at extra.co.nz, and I always reply to email within 24 hours, whether you're aviation or motorcycle engineering inquiries, yeah, I promise to get back to you quickly. Right, okay. Now, um, how have other um, ATC units responded? Have, have, has anyone had a look at it? from another unit and said, geez, yes. we need to do this? Or? It's a good question and thanks for raising it because I'm standing in debt to the officers, particularly a number four squadron in Auckland who guided me early on uh, in this whole approach. And um, they, while they have not undertaken uh, a formal unit history of this, of this nature, I think the work we've done uh, is certainly uh, brought it to their attention and then they may well 
uh, follow, follow on suit. But um, no, I worked mainly with number four squadron. I also had a lot of help from number 13 squadron, <coughs> excuse me, serving officers, and from uh, a number of key individuals in the RNZAF, both serving and retired, yeah. uh, who I've acknowledged uh, to the best of our ability in the King's Crew acknowledgements and credits. Uh, we could sit here for a long time thanking people uh, in the last two years who've gone way beyond what they needed to to help the project, having seen or sniffed the potential that was in it yep. and the merit of the work that uh, we're doing. And I know as the architect of Wings Over New Zealand, uh, you know that feeling well, yes. given the support that you garner from all and sundry around New Zealand and yep. overseas. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, so do you think that other units will follow suit and start putting together something like this? I believe this? they will, um, and it's, it's, you know, it's maybe up to little old 14 Squadron to point the way on this uh, to some of our larger city colleagues, because none of us from the 60s, 50s and 60s are getting any younger. Many of us uh, now in our 60s, like our group, are thinking more about their youth, um, yep. Uh, retiring uh, and getting into recreational pursuits like motorcycling and flying uh, and I think also uh, looking more at reunions. I had never been to a reunion in my life until the 14 Squadron one. I always eschewed them as something that old people did but <laughs> having done one or two in fact now, yeah I realise what a tremendously enriching experience it is. I'd be very surprised once other squadrons have a look at King's crew if uh, they don't decide to engage upon unit histories themselves. Right, okay. Uh, and have you got any more reunions uh, planned for the future? Well, we're wondering how we're going to top a 2011 uh, reunion. It's been suggested by some of the 1990s squadron officers that maybe a, a period uh, ball at Darton Field in Gisborne uh, would, be, uh, would be a suitable way to bring all the squadrons uh, from 2011 going back into uh, play as inherently we are creatures of our time. We started in the 60s, we worked back into justice to those who went before us and we uh, did justice to those who followed us up to the present day. So it's been a great levelling exercise across the generations. Uh, and I, yeah, there will be a, another reunion in Gisborne. Uh, it may be in 2012, we may take a breather and do it next year. Yep. But yes, the pattern of reunions will carry on, uh, probably following 30 Squadron, uh, which met formally every year for, for 50 years until 1993, um, with the City Fathers leading that, uh, uh, that movement because of the tremendous community role that 30 Squadron had during World War II. Uh, when the East Coast felt somewhat isolated and vulnerable yep. to German raiders and Japanese submarines Absolutely. and aircraft buzzing around. Yep. Uh, so there is a particularly strong link there, and uh, that seems to have carried across into 14 Squadron. Uh, we had um, a very strong reception from the RSA uh, in Gisborne, and the local community leaders got right behind us. So, yeah... We've passed the baton now, I think, with the publication of King's Crew to some of the later squadrons from the 70s, 80s, 90s and, and 2000s to pick up the baton now and, uh, uh, and some of the younger people can take up a leadership role now. I've got a feeling that in King's Crew, with King's Crew, our A-flight group has probably just about completed its mission. Hmm. Right, okay. 
And I guess um, just on a, a little side note, you must be quite pleased down in Gisborne to see that the Avenger is coming back to New Zealand. Ah, yes, absolutely. Absolutely, even if it is an Australian one. <laughs> but it's, it's the one that used to be here as Blonky right. and it's coming back and going yeah. to be Blonky again. It's so, wonderful, yeah. absolutely wonderful, yes. Uh, Gaps, of course, um, uh, was one of our hosts, uh, the Gisborne uh, Air uh, aircraft Preservation Society at Darton Field. Yep. The uh, um, the committee there were tremendously hospitable, and uh, it is a tremendous uh, resource there. Uh, I think exceeded only by Tauranga and their work on classic aircraft. But certainly, Gaps is a wonderful venue, uh, and that's where the next reunion I think will be. Right. Right. Okay. Excellent. Well, I think we've probably covered as much as we can. Um, today so thank you very much for appearing on the Wings Over New Zealand show it's been fascinating having a look at the book and and I do recommend it to other people and um, thanks very much thanks for having me Dave no problem cheers cheers